Shvat Tafshinayin Tet. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. with a Rib Shlomo Kalbach classic, Hashmi'ini Eid Kolech, one of his first nigunim. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Ehud Banai, Hashmi'ini Eid Kolech, opens things up on this week's edition of the Israel Show. Thank you so much for joining us, making us a part of your week. We're here each and every week, immediately following JM and the AM, every Monday, I should say, immediately following JM and the AM, which translates to 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is now, write it down, because that's the time that we're on. But of course, you don't have to stop everything to listen to the Israel Show. It's great if you want to listen live, but you can listen whenever you want, on demand. That's why it's called On Demand. When you demand it, you can have it. On Demand via the Nachum Siegel Network app, available for free on the various app stores for Android and OS, iOS, and of course online on the website, nachomsegel.com, go to the archives and click on the Israel show. They're all there. Six years worth of stuff. Some have, some, some are really uh, prescient, prescient, I think, or prescient, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> we have a great show lined up. I mean, chock full of stuff. The end of Operation um, Magain Siphoni, 
um, was announced. That was the uncovering of the tunnels up north. We're going to talk about that. And uh, the shocking, really amazing, amazing, amazing uh, revelation by Chief of Staff Eisenkot, who has now, uh, after many, many years, most of his adult life, is taking his uh, taking off his uniform and going into civilian clothes. So he um, he revealed what the plan of the Hezbollah was, how they were going to use these tunnels and so forth. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, politics, about the pre-elections. How could we not talk about pre-elections? I mean, seriously. And um, we have other stuff. We're going to talk in the election, talk about the Labor Party and the left in Israel and what, what uh, sick, well, I, I shouldn't say sickness, but what ails them and where, what trap they're falling into. We have a Gemara in Sanhedrin that we found that really sums it all up. And the religious parties as well. We'll talk about that all coming up. And interspersed with all that is a lot of great, great Israeli music. We have a new Kululam, that um, that group that brings together people from all walks of life in Israel to sing together songs. It is. Uh, it was dedicated on Hanukkah to the to bringing light to the people who live in the towns along the Gaza border who have been living through difficult uh, situations. And um, we'll share that with you and uh, some new songs and some golden oldies. Here's a golden oldie that was uh, rejuvenated last year for Israel's 70th anniversary. The famous hallelujah that won the Eurovision back in the day, what was it, 79 or so? And uh, Eurovision returns to Israel, albeit to Tel Aviv this year. So uh, this is Galiatari and Eden Ben Zaken together with, I don't know, a few thousand other people in a Kululam. Hallelujah. My name is Mayor Weingarten and you are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
our beautiful mass singing. Singing is believing is there the theme of Kululam. And if you haven't seen the videos that go along with these songs, this one, Alkolele, Chai, um, it just, y- you will be moved. I mean, if you have a little bit of uh, feeling of Israel and the music of Israel and so forth, you will be so moved. I, I got to tell you, I've seen the Alkolele one so many times, and yet I moved every time. And it's not the same if you're just listening to the music versus watching the video. Um, Alkolele is, is, well, this is done with a few thousand people in a hall with great, beautiful pageantry. And the other one, the Alkolele one, is done at uh, the basketball stadium in Tel Aviv with 17,000 participants all davening together. Alkolele Shmornali Eli Hatov. Mayor Weingarten in here. Mayor Weingarten in. I was about to say Mayor Weingarten in for Nachum Siegel. No, it's Mayor Weingarten. And you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. This past weekend, many, many interviews. The uh, retiring chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Forces, Gadi Eisenkot. And um, it is traditional that as the chief of staff retires uh, and goes back into civilian life after many years, decades, decades and decades in the in the military, that he um, gives interviews to the major news outlets in Israel. He gave uh, one amongst many two, Chatshot Arutz Shtayim or Chatshot, it's called today. And um, it was very interesting. He he is rather um, introverted. <laughs> quiet fellow it's pretty amazing considering the the strength that one needs i mean spiritual strength that one needs to um and strength of character to lead the israel defense forces but personally he's rather shy quiet not a great storyteller and such the stuff the media is looking for but he did reveal something that uh i found to be pretty uh, amazing he was talking about the situation that we have up north in northern Israel on the border with Lebanon and um, which the entire southern part of Lebanon is is uh, totally run and controlled, um, let us say occupied maybe, by Hezbollah, a terrorist organization led by uh, Sheikh Nasrallah, but mainly Hezbollah is a satellite, is an arm of uh, the uh, government of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and uh, that they and the Hamas in Aza are both nothing more than puppets of Iran, and they are there for Iran's strategic reasons, meaning one day, God forbid, when Iran will be really under the gun and will need leverage, they will use Hamas and Hezbollah to attack Israel and use that as leverage against the West, against Israel, and so forth. And uh, that's a very scary and sad situation. So what had happened up north, like it did in the south, was that um, Hezbollah dug many tunnels underneath the border, going from Lebanon crossing the border, coming out near Israel, but these tunnels didn't end. They were almost finished, but not totally finished, so it would be very, very difficult to discover them. They must have been sitting there for for several years because you can't really dig that kind of um, intense, amazing um, um, tunnel infrastructure. I mean, you're talking about huge tunnels. You can't dig that in, in a few months. This must have taken years to do. And uh, in a matter of months, Israel discovered six tunnels crossing over the border. They were originating in South Lebanon in private homes, mainly mainly in private homes of people that were moved out of their home, and their home became a cover for the for the tunnel. Understand that 
digging a tunnel of this massive proportions. These were tunnels where you could move hundreds or thousands of soldiers without them needing even to bend down. They could stand upright and with weapons, even with small vehicles and motorcycles and so forth, cross the tunnels. So you can imagine how huge it is, how much how much dirt and stone has to be removed and then dispensed with, and all of this has to be done in secret because both Israel and the United States have satellites where they could detect this type of uh, operation, and they managed to do this, it would seem, without Israel knowing for a very long time, six such tunnels. The last one was discovered <clears throat> just a little while ago. It is said, <clears throat> excuse me, it is said to be the uh, largest of all the tunnels that they have discovered until now. Now listen to this. It goes down meaning from the from the ground level it goes down 50 yards half of a football stadium that's pretty crazy thinking about how and then of course from that point it goes across into Israel and then back up not all the way of course because they didn't want it to be discovered so all of these tunnels where a foreign country invaded Israel's territory. There's no question about it. And all this was happening while the UNIFIL, the United Nations force for Israel and Lebanon, that uh, quote-unquote peacekeeping force, what a, what a, what a fraud, what, what a sham, um, was watching. I mean, how could they not see what was going on? I wonder if they didn't uh, pick up a shovel every once in a while and help. The state of Israel announced the end of this uh, operation, Magen Tzfoni, yesterday. Don't know what that means, as we mentioned earlier on Jame in the AM when <clears throat> we were talking with Nachum. How do you know that they're not more tunnels? Uh, I, I don't understand. I mean, they, they've really just been discovering, or so it seems, discovering these tunnels as they went along, searching, using various means to search for tunnels. How do they know that there are no longer any tunnels? I don't know. Could it be the Prime Minister <clears throat> needs to put at least a period, if not a comma, a period to this uh, operation so that he can go to elections without being accused of being hypocritical because a few months ago when this operation started, he said... It was uh, a major operation. There will be uh, tremendous sacrifices needed. And it's not a time for elections. Whatever that meant or did not mean at the time, maybe he needed to get away from that, so they declared the end of it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little too cynical and uh, conspiracy theorist. I'm not usually a conspiracy person. Either way... Gadi Eisenkot revealed the following, that they discovered plans, Israel discovered plans of the Hezbollah in Lebanon. The plans were that once these tunnels were all finished and ready, and don't forget there's electricity running through these tunnels, there's air being pumped through the tunnels, uh, uh, there's even Wi-Fi and, and other means of communications that go through the tunnel, that they would pump thousands of soldiers of Hezbollah terrorists through the tunnels they would come out in Israel in a coordinated fashion they would together capture a certain area in the Galil they had it all mapped out and the tunnels were dug in a coordinated way in such a way that would uh, allow that to happen they would capture this territory in Israel, hold the people there hostage, and hold, try to hold on to that piece of territory for as long as they could while doing other things, other terrorist attacks on the rest of Israel, maybe shooting rockets, missiles that they have many, many, many tens of thousands, over 100,000 is claimed missiles that they have. It's a nightmare scenario, a nightmare scenario. There's no question about it. Um, thankfully, you know, we got to thank the one above and we got to thank the the Israeli intelligence and military for being able to discover this in in enough time. Don't forget, this was a very similar scenario that was brought out um, around Aza and the Aza tunnels when um, the three young men were kidnapped and 
Israel went out to uh, to a war with uh, with the Hamas in Gaza, it, uh, the extent of their tunnels were discovered, and uh, many say that uh, the lives of the three young men, the the three kedoshim, their holy souls were not given up in vain. I don't know how we say that, but that seems to be a cliche that everybody uses because um, it warned us. It brought us to understand the, the dangerous, dangerous situation that we were facing with the tunnels, where a similar scenario uh, could have taken place. And in fact, at one point, they tried to do that. They they had sent soldiers, Hamas sent soldiers out through the tunnels, out of Aza, over the under the border, and um, thankfully they were caught before they managed to get to a nearby kibbutz. So these are the issues, the 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 life and death issues that are facing Israel. Would that succeed? Would that attack have succeeded? Would Israel have been able to fight back, to knock them out? They must have some something in their arsenal that they were convinced would be able to knock out the Air Force. Otherwise, this whole thing could be put, uh, put away very quickly with an Air Force bombing. I don't know. I guess they would have um, had civilians as uh, human shields. Hard to tell, but a, a shocking uh, possibility that um, was aver- averted. And yet, there are those, including um, Colonel um, Ronin Itzik, who writes in Israel Hayom, that while we averted or avoided this attack, the fact is that Israel's ability to frighten the other side to make the other side feel that it's not worth it for them to attack has really gone down. Israel was very afraid to do anything beyond pour cement down the tunnels on the Israeli side. Israel never crossed the border to blow up the tunnels, beginnings, and the the first couple of, of yards of the tunnel on the Lebanese side. That's how afraid Israel was of creating a situation where they crossed the border where they would start being condemned and so forth. So, on some level, the Hatra'ah of the ground forces or the ground war is not bolstered at all by this. That, that is Aluf Mishneh Ronen Itzik writing in Yisrael Hayom. We'll go to some music, then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of politics. What's going on pre-elections? And oh yes, elections there are. April the 9th will be the elections. <clears throat> and uh, we'll continue to, uh, to update you, and we're going to do that right away. Following this musical break, Amir Benayun, Omed Bashar, this goes back a while. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Amir Ben Ayun Omed Bashar. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Elections. The countdown continues. We're in the 90s, days-wise. April the 9th. Elections will take place in Israel. Very complicated, as always, elections in Israel are. But this time, even more so, for starters, because the Prime Minister is under investigation by the police, and there is a possibility that an indictment will be handed down against the Prime Minister during the period leading up to the elections. That will be rather... I mean, it might be a game-changer, I'm not sure. And I'm not even sure in which direction. Will those people who feel that this is a a witch hunt and that uh, the Prime Minister was targeted unfairly for political reasons, will they coalesce around the Prime Minister if an indictment is handed down? Will many Likud voters feel that it's inappropriate for the Prime Minister to continue in his job while under indictment and they will vote for other parties and there are options out there? Hard to say. But there's no question that the Prime Minister right now feels that his best move is to try and not to be indicted, to do everything against having an indictment handed down before the elections. And uh, that's where he's working. The uh, Labour Party is... uh, You have to remember the history of this party, the Labour Party. The party of Ben-Gurion is the party that, if you will, I mean, they always use this as a cliche, but it's true, the party that that founded the State of Israel. Unfortunately, in in its early years of uh, pre-the state and, and a, de- a few decades into uh, the life of the State of Israel, they were a rather very socialist and Bolshevik type of party where if you didn't agree with them, you were out, literally. I mean, if you were a member of the opposition Chayut party, aligned with Prime Minister Begin, later Prime Minister Begin, aligned with uh, Menachem Begin and, and, and the Etzel and Lechi um, veterans, then often you couldn't get a job. You could not get a job. People don't remember that. And they controlled everything with such a tight fist that they were elected with huge majorities from 1948, the first election, until 1977, they were the only party ever in power. You know, imagine that in a democratic country. It took the earthquake, if you will, of the Yom Kippur War and then some to finally bring about change. Anyway, so this is that is the Labour Party. That's the party of Ben-Gurion and of Golda Meir and of Abba Iben and Moshe Dayan until Begin took him out of there, and others that have become icons in the Jewish history of the State of Israel. And now the polls show that they, in the best situation, would get somewhere between seven and nine seats in the Knesset of 120. They will be down there with some of the smaller, insignificant parties in the Israeli Knesset to think how far they have sunk, and they are currently under the leadership of Avigabai, who came there from a different party. He was a senior member and a minister under the Kulanu party, Moshe Kachlon's party. And he left that, and he left the government. He felt that they weren't really dealing with the social issues that he felt were important. And he went to the Labour Party, And they elected him to lead them in the next election. But the Labour Party is um, infamous for eating its leadership, if you will. Cannibalizing them. After every election that they did not win, they threw out the leader and figured there's some new messiah on the way And every time, their hopes were dashed. And the truth is, in this current election, if the Labour Party would be smart enough 
to join with some of the other parties out there that are more toward the left, center-left. For example, these are other parties, I should say, that want to topple Netanyahu. They have one common goal, topple Netanyahu. You can't do it individually. Yair Lapid's party, former chief of staff Boogie Yalon, former chief of, Stans, uh, uh, chief of staff Gantz, they probably t- running together would be a tremendous block that would be able to stand in the way of Prime Minister Netanyahu continuing to be Prime Minister. What's the problem? Why can't they get together? Well, even now, within the Labour Party, there are people calling to to throw out Avi Gabay and to elect a new leader less than 100 days before the election. Can you imagine how crazy that is? But these are, these are a group of Knesset members that, that want to do that. I don't, I, I, sometimes I think they're so blinded, they can't understand what is, what is in their own good, I guess on some level from my perspective. Thankfully so. So I, I, there's a famous, what I think is a famous Gemara, a Medrash, and let me just preface this by explaining to you my understanding of Medrash. It's not mine, it's in the Rambam, that some of the Midrashay Chazal that are brought to us, the Rambam says, we can understand literally. Some, we are not to understand literally. If if they go against nature, if they require some great miracle that we haven't heard about, and so forth, so we should try and understand there's a message being conveyed in these Midrashim, the Rambam says. We should try and understand the message. So this is one of those Midrashim, I believe, that <clears throat> is probably a metaphor, but it is such a great metaphor. It is such a lesson for life. That I've, I, from the minute I learned this many, many, many years ago, it was called to my attention. I've, I've seen it working, operating in the world around us. It is the Gemara in Sanhedrin. It's Kuf. Oh, I had it written down where it was. Kuf. Well, I'll post it. Kuf Aleph Ahmed Bed, I believe, is where it is. But if um, if you want the exact Makor, so um, you can uh, email me, Mayor, at Nachum Siegel, M-E-I-R, Mayor, at NachumSiegel.com. M-E-I-R-M-E-R-N-A-C-M-S-E-G-L-D-A-C-M. I'll be happy to send you the quote and so forth. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav Abba, the Pesach says, Achar Advarim Ha'ele, Achar Advar Hazel, Lo Shav Yoravam Midar After this thing, a specific uh, incident, Yoravam Ben Nevat, who is the archetypical, the quintessential Russia who is not only a Russia for himself, he's a chota umachti asarabim, he, he sins and he causes others to sin as well, and he becomes the, the, the icon of sinners, chota umachti asarabim, Yeravam ben Nevat. It says he didn't, re- after that he did not return, he, he was not choser betruvai, did not return to proper ways. So the Gemara asks, what does that mean, achar of What happened before that? So the Gemara, chazal, um, come up with a, a, a thought of what might have happened, what was the case. And here's the case. That, however we understand it, but metaphorically, God grabbed Yeravam's cloak and held him back, like, going to talk to you now. Amarlo, God says to him, Chazor b'cha, do tshuva. Repent. What will happen if you repent? Ve'ani, ve'ata, uven yishai, nitayel began Eden. You, I mean, um, I, God, says, ani, ata, you, uven yishai, and David HaMelech, nitayel began Eden, will stroll in the Garden of Eden. Now, is that an amazing offer that God makes to an infamous sinner who not only sins himself but causes others to sin, 
who becomes the icon for sin. What an offer. Think about it for a second. If God came to you and said to you, repent, you and I and David HaMelech will stroll through the Garden of Eden. So Yeravam ben Nevat answers with a question. He was Jewish. Amarlo, Yeravam says to him, Mi Barosh. There's three people, God, and then there's the two kings, Yeravam ben Nevat and David HaMelech. Yeravam wants to know who's at the head, who's the leader, whose name is number one on the marquee. Who gets the, the star billing? Is it going to say David HaMelech and Yeravam ben Avad? Or is it going to say Yeravam ben Avad and David HaMelech? Who's going to be the leader and who's going to be the number two man? God says, <clears throat> Ben Yishai Barosh. David HaMelech gets the top billing. He's the leader. He goes first. Yeravam ben Avad answers, Ihachi lo ba'ina. If so, I'm not interested. I'm not going to repent. That's what's happening. That's what happens very often in politics. Gaiva, haughtiness, pride, self-aggrandizement. The Labour Party doesn't want to go with Yair Lapid because Yair Lapid wants to be the number one. Everybody wants to be number one. And as a result, they will all not be number one. They will all end up being number five or number ten. Because it is ga'ava. Pride, incorrect pride, that ends up messing up a society when the leaders are not humble and don't understand their place and only want to be Barosh, me Barosh, if every leader asks me Barosh, otherwise I'm not interested, this is what happens. And that is ultimately going to bring down the left unless they manage to get somebody who will convince the others to all accept another person that will be Barosh. The religious parties are trying to do the same thing. We'll talk about it when we uh, come back from the musical interlude. This is another Kululam. This is a brand new one. It was recorded on the at the end of Hanukkah in the Yishuvim, the settlements or the towns, I should say. I don't like using the word settlement. The towns along the Gaza border in the south that have been suffering for years and years, over a decade, with the daily occurrence I shouldn't say daily occurrence, but the daily fear, hourly fear, of being attacked by missiles from Gaza. And no matter what Israel has done over the years, that threat continues. Kululam decided to go down and bring some light to the darkness of that community. And so they had a few thousand people come together and sing the song, May Alai de Mama, Above Me, there is silence. Honestly, I, I wasn't familiar with this song until now. So we'll play the Kululam version. Next week we'll bring you the original version, just to help you through it. Beautiful words. Words were written by Chani Arbel, the melody by Ahuva Ozeri, who I also wasn't familiar with until I started preparing for this. And she seems to have an interesting story as well. We'll share all that with you in the coming weeks. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the Kululam version in solidarity with the people of Otef Aza, the people in southern Israel near the Gaza border. We, of course, join in the solidarity and the thoughts and prayers for them as well. May I Mama Kulula. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Rockland again, Ahava. <clears throat> to play the instruments of love. Hoshetli Hayad Achishali. Stretch out your hand, <clears throat> my brother. And we stretch out our hand and our love to the people of southern Israel. I should be more specific, southwestern Israel, who suffer for over a decade now with the terrorism from Aza. So the uh, other part of the spectrum and the Israeli politicals, and we spoke about the Labor Party and the left and their inability to form a cohesive group, well, a similar situation is taking place on the Haredi scene in Israel, on the Haredi parties. You have four parties. Now I say Haredi and not religious because I'm leaving out of this equation the Bayit HaYehudi that is a religious Zionist party but even though part of the party's base is Haredi Leumi, national, nationalistic and Haredi, like the Merkaz Harav group and others, they are not even considering, I believe, joining this, uh, this group of parties that want to get together in a block. So there are now four such parties. The Agudat Israel, which um, classically ran under one name, and that name united both the Litvish and the Hasidish world, they had split a while ago into two groups, Degel HaTorah and Aguda. They have um, an, an arrangement where a certain number of Degel HaTorah Members of Knesset get members of Knesset, and uh, the other side gets uh, another uh, uh, allotment, and so forth. And they worked out some some, but they are led by two different groups, two different Moetzet Gedolei Hatorah type uh, groups of rabbinical leaders. Then you have the Shas Party, which was in its heyday a huge force in Israeli politics, led by Harav Yosef and Aryeh Deri. They, they, their, their banner was the independence of the Sfaradim from the Ashkenazi leadership, and um, they, led by Rav Avadi Yosef, they were very powerful. He passed away a few years ago. Aryeh Deri ended up in prison for quite a while, and. Eli Shai was running the party, but Aryeh Deri never let go of his power bases, and so when he came back into politics, he and Eli Shai, who was the leader set up by Harav Avadya Yosef when Aryeh Deri went into prison, he and Eli Shai had bitter fights. Aryeh Deri wanted to go back to lead. Eli Shai followed Harav Avadya Yosef and said no. Ultimately, Eli Shai left or was kicked out by the Aryeh Deri forces, and here again, you find everybody splitting, and by splitting, losing more and more power. So now, Eli Shai ran in the last election under the party named Yahad, and uh, the problem was that he did not get enough votes. There's a threshold of a little under 4%. You have to get at least, whatever it is, 3 point something percent of the vote, to even qualify to enter the Knesset. And if you don't, and you don't plan well enough in advance, you lose all those votes. All those votes that were would ha- could have put in almost four Knesset members for the religious parties went to waste because of El Yishai in the last election. So that's a big gamble to take. Well, he has his own leader, I think his name is Harav Mazuz. He's the Rosh Shiva. That's what they call him. Aryeh Deri has his own Mo'etzer Chachmea Torah. I gotta honestly tell you 
that while I went to high school in a Haredi high school in America, for those four years, it was drummed into me, this concept of Das Torah, that there is such a thing as the rabbis, the great leaders of the generation, the rabbinic leaders, making decisions in every sphere of life, politics, or anything else. And that there's a certain infallibility that comes with those decisions. And I I never believed that concept. I, I surely now don't believe the concept. It's whole discussions for another day. But it, it really seems weird that you have the possibility here of a political situation where if all these parties come together, they will they will bring a huge turnout and a great gain for the Haredi Knesset faction. But there's four different... I mean, they might decide to go together, but it's very hard. You're talking about what what supposedly what God wants and yet there are four different representatives who are going to have to make that decision and if all of them are infallible and they don't agree that might be difficult don't know where that's gonna where that's gonna lead us anyway what can I say it's it's like everything else in in religion it's a leap of faith and that's a leap of faith as well so that's where that stands the Bayit HaYehudi on the other hand has its own problems. They are split amongst themselves. Who's going to lead the Bayit HaYehudi? Their leaders, Bennett and Shaked, left suddenly at the last minute before they could leave and take the uh, allocation, monetary allocation for the members of Knesset. They took that with them and they left the Bayit HaYehudi wounded and in tremendous debt and I wonder if they'll be able, the Bayit Yudi will be able to get back to itself in time for the elections. And now there is a struggle even within the Bayit Yehudi between Haver Knesset, uh, Knesset member Smutrich and uh, Minister uh, Uri Ariel as to who's going to lead that camp. That, that, that's a bad situation for them. I don't know how they're going to ever come out of that. And so we find ourselves... As ever, in times of difficulties, not united, but splintered. Not as bad as it was in the times of Yeruvah ben Nevat. Not as bad as it was in biblical times when there was actually two countries, two nations. There was Yehuda and Yisrael. And Jews fought each other. Jews from Yehuda fought against, uh, Jews of Yisrael fought against the Jews of Yehuda. Parties, tribes, let's say, tribes, had wars with each other. If you remember the Sibolet-Shibolet story, over 10,000 people were slaughtered. 10,000 Jews of one tribe slaughtered by another in in that war. Thank God we're not even close to that, but we're also rather far from unity. Next week, Monday, is Tu Bishvat. And our annual custom, going back at least 20 years, if not more, of joining Nachum Siegel over at JM in the AM for the Tu Bishvat special, will continue this year as well. So tune in next week, as you should be doing every day, between 6 and 9, JM in the AM. Tu Bishvat special will begin usually around 7. It'll be lots of fun. And uh, tune in at 9 for the Israel show as well. We're going to f- uh, we're going to we're going to end off with Gabriel Tambak and Modani really I've played this a number of times but it's, it it is really an amazing song. We're going to do that right after we say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock, with after further review covering the latest in the world of sports. And then the ever-popular Novik Now with Jake Novik. 
tackling the issues of the day, and then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday at JMND AM for the Tubishvat special and here at the Israel Show. This is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh, no. They're just running in a different race. עוד יום בחיים שלי התחיל מו 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 מודה אני לפניך אלוקיי ביום הזה עוד לא ניגעתי והכל פתוח אפשרי נשמה שלי נתת, היא תוביל אותי לאור נשמה שבי נפחת, והבטחת גם לשמור נשמה אשר יצרת, טהורה לעולמים כי בתוך תוכי השארת, נגיעה של Thank you.